Tampa Bay's Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. If you cast your mind back, way back to a time when cars were on our screens rather than the other way around, a few brands immediately spring to mind. Aston Martin with some bloke called Bond, of course. Audi or even Lexus jumping into futuristic sci-fi films. Minis in madcap metropolitan capers. One name that somehow fails to stand out on this list is Ferrari. For a company that places its finger so hard on the marketing pulse, the prancing horse hasn't often tried to find starring roles for its cars. But from time to time, producers have got their hands on some machinery for Marinello, and the results have become rather iconic. These are our favourite film cars from Ferrari. That mustachioed private investigator Thomas Magnum, as played by Tom Selleck, and his facial hair was a mainstay of any 1980s childhood. The glamorous Hawaiian setting, entertaining ensemble cast, and amusingly absurd storylines were part of it. But, of course, our attention was mainly on that red Ferrari 308 GTS Magnum would borrow from his employer. A wink at the camera and a fishtailing getaway onto a mountain road just seemed to be the epitome of a Ferrari ownership dream. Drenched in neon and synth, Miami Vice starred Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas as vice detectives James Sonny Crockett and Ricardo Rico Tubbs, and each got their own iconic set of wheels. Tubbs had a gigantic land yacht of a 1964 Cadillac Coupe de Ville convertible, while Crockett was allowed to brood in the more slim surroundings of the 1972 Ferrari 365 GTS4 Daytona Spider. Well, sort of, and only for the first two series. The two Daytonas used in filming, one for stunts and one for close-ups, were actually replicas, built on Corvette C3 chassis with running gear made by McBurney Coachcraft, as Ferrari had, perhaps understandably, refused to provide real examples of such a classic. Ferrari, in a very Ferrari move, then went after McBurney Coachcraft for trademark infringement even though the show was starting to become a ratings hit. The Daytonas were symbolically retired, with an explosion, and replaced with a pair of brand new Ferrari-supplied Testarossas. They were painted white specifically so they stood out in the show's many, many night scenes. We've seen it dozens of times, but... Spoiler alert, the horrific plunge that the Ferrari 250 GT California takes off a cliff in Ferris Bueller's Day Off still makes us wince. 
And yes, we know it's a replica like the Miami Vice Daytonas, but that doesn't stop us from looking away. With only 56 real 250 GT Californias made, director John Hughes wasn't going to subject one to the rigours of filming, which of course included a flying leap soundtracked by the Star Wars theme. The GT Spider California was sourced from Moderna Design and Development and had a tube frame chassis made by Bob Webb, the same race engineer behind the Xerox Special raced by Roger Penske and engineered by Bruce McLaren that's raced at Goodwood several times. It was powered not by a Colombo V12, but by a 5-litre Ford Windsor V8 and was no slouch, probably able to outdrive the real thing. Moderna Design and Development, founded by Neil Glassmoyer and Mark Goyet, of course eventually fell foul of Ferrari's lawyers after building three cars in an astonishing four weeks. That achievement would put them out of the replica business. Finally, a real V12 Ferrari being driven as it was intended, across continents at high speed. The final of three films based on the real Cannonball Baker C to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy, The Gumball Rally was one of those oh-so-70s screwball comedies with a giant ensemble cast on some madcap mission. The real race was a completely illegal and very irresponsible time trial from New York to Los Angeles on open public roads. But it is livened up by a rivalry between a 1971 Ferrari Daytona Spider and a 1966 Ford Shelby Cobra 427. And these were not prop cars, but the real things, and the driving was done by the actors themselves, not stunt drivers. For a pretty silly film, the driving sequences are surprisingly engaging. Of the two Daytonas used for the film, one was wrecked and rebuilt, and turned up again in A Star Is Born, where it was wrecked again, and later rebodied as an NART spider. The second was owned by Mel Blanc, aka the voice of Bugs Bunny. Those are our favourite Ferrari star cars of TV and film. This is Bill Warner of the Amelia Island Concord Delegates, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google TanTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, check out NostalgicRadioandCars.com. Good evening, Matt. Good evening, Robert, and happy holidays to you, since we're a week out from Christmas. Well, we can say Merry Christmas. Okay, fine. Merry Christmas. You, you, wait a minute. When's, when's Hanukkah? Is that... Han- Hanukkah's over already. It's already over. Okay. Yep. So, so, <laughs> anyway, happy Hanukkah to you. Which, which is weird because I looked at the calendar for next year. First night of Hanukkah next year falls on Christmas Day. Does it really? Yes, which is incredibly late. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, at any rate, so Merry Christmas to everybody tuning in. This is our Christmas, I guess it would be our Christmas show. It's a week before Christmas, or a couple days before Christmas, because it's, it's Sunday. And uh, we got an exciting show for you tonight. we got part two with uh, Luigi, Luigi Canetti Jr. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it, because I have a whole bunch of questions. And because uh, it fascinates me, um, Ferrari's just an interesting car, and I played that little clip there because uh, 
Um, it's just, it is the mark of marks. Here, recently, uh, or a while back, I know I've appraised a number of Ferraris over the years. I'll probably get into that with uh, Luigi. I'll mention some of the cars that I did. But anything from a 1953 um, uh, Mondale 500 to uh, a 2022 Ferrari F8 Spider and a Daytona and uh, a 250 Competition, competizione. I think if I pronounce it right. Anyway, actually, it was a it was a uh, replica, which is something else we're going to get to. Anyway, on that note, um, Matt, why don't you go ahead and call uh, Luigi, and we'll get him on the phone. And then uh, a couple car shows coming up. Well, they're the ones in Florida. Or uh, definitely check out flacarshows.com. Meekum is in a couple weeks, the first weekend of, of March. Or no, excuse me, January. God, January. We're we're at the end of the year here. Losing my mind. No, I lost my mind a long time ago. I'm just trying to figure out how to get bits and pieces back. Anyway, um, and then, of course, we've got uh, Scottsdale Collector Car Week, which is also in January. And then we've got Festivals of Speed, which is at the Vinoy, uh, also in January. And then uh, we've got, uh, oh, the Guitar Expo, which is the end of January, beginning of March or February. We've got... uh, Geez, a number of car shows coming up. And, of course, we have uh, the uh, Daytona 24-hour race is coming up. That's also at the end of the month, January. But I think for the next two weeks, there's just going to be some local car shows and some venues and some parades and things like that. Anyway, without further ado, I think it's time to uh, get our guests on the show here. And I'm delighted to welcome back Luigi Canetti Jr. Luigi, how are you? Buonasera and buon Natale. Buon Natale to you as well. I'm fine, thank you. So, I, I sent you a list this time, and um, so we can go over some of those, but I, I don't know if I asked you the, 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 the question. When you turned 16, what was your first car? I mean, if, if Luigi Canetti, the Ferrari importer, is very well connected with Ferrari, was your first car a Ferrari, or was it a Fiat? <laughs> I, I'm curious. I, I, I actually had. I'm curious about that. Really, what would was your dad? I mean, I know you, you you snuck out with some race cars every once in a while, but and I know you were test driving some cars. Oh, but that was later. That was later. Okay, so oh, what, your sure. very first car. Now, were you living in Italy? Or no, you came to the United States by then, right? When you were a teenager. No, I never lived in Italy. We always lived in the U.S. Oh, really? Oh yeah, I was born in the U.S. Oh, I was born in the U.S. Yeah. Okay, so New York or New England, someplace, Connecticut or no, something. Oh, New York. New York. Oh, okay. Well, that. So, what was your first car? Well, it was between. Well, let's put it this way. Um, Dad wanted to keep me alive, <laughs> and he knew if he gave me a sport car, the chances would be slimmer. Okay. So what he did, very intelligent of him, he got me a sedan. A little Alpha sedan, which was 1,300 cc, so it must have had maybe 80 horsepower. But it was a sedan, so it had four doors and a column shift, and it was a pretty good choice. Uh, A a Julia? Is that what it was? Oh, I think it was a Julia. Yeah, okay. Julia came later. Oh, okay. But, I mean, it was a lot. it it, It was smart on his part. Because uh, I, I succeeded in beating a lot of the little sport cars, uh, 
So it worked out very well. He was a very smart man. Let me ask you this. So when you grow up and and you're in town, did you guys live in Manhattan at the time, or did you live in the outskirts of New York? No, we lived uh, in Manhattan in, um, oh, probably until 19, maybe 50, early 50s, something like that. Okay. And the, sh- the showroom that you guys had, when your dad first started Kennedy Motors, I guess it was, did how many cars did you have in the showroom? Well, we didn't have a showroom. Uh, dad had a uh, half of a loft in uh, the Fergus building, okay. which was on West 54th Street. And then you moved to 780? And that's that was the bigger building with a little bit of a, that's a corner building with the shot and there was a what, wasn't there a repair shop next to you named Zumbach or something like that? Well, that was later on. Before that, later? that we were on uh, uh, Port Forty West Nineteenth Street. Okay. And again, it was basically a loft. What were the customers like back in those days? Well, I would I would say they were really interesting. Uh, you didn't have many cars to sell, you see. Um, I'm, just, I'm trying to think how many cars were sold those years. Maybe. The historians would know better than I. I'm going to take a guess and say maybe 40 cars here, but I could be wrong. And a number of them were uh, racing cars. Huh. Um. When you now, one of the things I, I sent you in the emails too is if if there's some interesting stories that kind of pop in your mind, you know, th- throughout the interview here, okay, um, some fun and interesting stories, just some side notes of you know race car drivers, celebrities, anybody that that kind of crossed your path, so to speak, that kind of left you with kind of a lasting memory. If you want to throw those in, I th- I'm sure the listeners would kind of get a kick out of that. And um, and then another question would be, so as you're growing up, and you're obviously following cars, racing, and things of that nature, who are some of the influences outside of your dad, and probably Enzo Ferrari, who are some of the other people that kind of had a little bit of an influence on you as far as, you know, your your, your taste in vehicles, maybe a career path, or, or, or hobbies, or anything like that? Well, you have two, two roads, okay. either the design end. Or the driving end, and nobody pushed me to drive. On the contrary, they probably ignored my interest. Uh, to be quite kind, uh, it was you now the design end was much more uh, influential because uh, in those days when I would go to Italy with Dad, uh, Pininfarina or Zotato and all these. Uh, he, them and I, uh, uh, they were the adoring and the want of the design world. And actually, the U.S., as I grew up, uh, I was a big fan of Bill Mitchell's. Uh, GM design was just spectacular those days. I was always in the U.S. with the design. Uh, that was really a treat. That was one. So, General Motors, and we had a, a gentleman on from, there was a design um, uh, stylist from General Motors, and he was, his dad was with Ford, and he even said, the reason I wanted to go with General Motors is because the styling and design center 
or programs that General Motors was working on was was far superior to any other of the big three. Um, just like you had kind of mentioned there, and of course with Bill Mitchell and people like Harley Earl, um, definitely uh, um, there were some extremely beautiful prototypes and, and concept cars that came uh, out of the General Motors studios. Well, the standard cars, if you look at the Buick Riviera or you look at the Tornado or before that, you, in the 40s, 40s, you had Cadillacs. They were spectacular cars. They were wonderful. So besides driving a race car, your other ambition would have been more or less along the lines of styling and design? Oh, those were the two areas that I wanted to go into. And the, 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 the racing part of it was not to be a career racing driver. It was more uh, curiosity, and I don't mean that as a slur. Um, the curiosity part of it was to see if what I was driving on the road I could translate onto driving on a track. In other words, what I thought might have been good on the road, how good was it on the track? And I found out. Okay. Um, here's a, uh, a question that came in last week on the text and was kind of late in the show, but um, your nickname, I guess, is a nickname, but another name that you refer to by is Coco. So how did the name Coco come about? I can't tell you the origins because I was too young. Okay. Um, I would squarely put that in the, in the hands of my mother, who for some reason thought that that was a cute little name, and that stuck. Uh, it just kept going and going and going. That's about it. It's uh, no, no, no more complexity than that. But I really can't say what occurred to her because she never would mention it. But Clearly, that was not in the, that was not in her program. So, do people to this day, your some of your really close friends? I mean, do they call you Coco still? No, nobody no. ever did. Oh, okay. All my close friends. Uh, it's Luigi. Uh, I had dinner with our my roommate from college last night. I've known him a little bit around seventy years, sixty five maybe, uh-huh. and there is never Coco is never. Never part of it. Okay. Well, interestingly, because I've seen it written in, you know, when I read up on, on, on my guests every once in a while, you know, sometimes there'll they'll be a little side note or something like that. So I thought, well, that's interesting. And then, of course, we got the text last week. Um, give, me your, give me your thoughts on modern-day Ferraris. What's your thoughts on those? I know you're very partial to vintage Ferraris, but what's your thoughts on where Ferraris going these days? You know, I don't know enough about it. I don't think I've driven a modern Ferrari. The last modern Ferrari that I drove and owned was the F40. Okay. And that, to me, was just absolutely a wonderful car. Uh, that was when I was talking to Derek Bell some years ago. We both said that was the. It was a driver's car. It was a wonderful car. I don't. I don't see cars with 700 horsepower. As um, it's more horsepower than we had in our Can-Am car. It, 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 to me, it doesn't. The, those those kind of figures don't mean much. You can't use them. Uh, they're useless. How about the how about the styling and do, do you does I mean I will have to say this: bar any supercar that's out there, Ferrari still still in my opinion has the most. 
just beautiful, stunning, elegant, just beautiful lines. That's I don't know how else to describe it, but they really do. Now, I do think when they came out with the F50, I wasn't sure what they were thinking when they came out with that one. The F40, I agree with you. The Ferrari GTO, I thought that was a beautiful car back in the late 80s. The 50, I'm not sure where they went with that. And then some of the 80s car, uh, the 90s cars into the early 2000s, you know, the 360s, the 430s. But then after that, they got kind of cool looking again. And um, so there's an ear, and then of course, obviously, things that are the early cars, and, and there's nothing compares to the to the late 50s and 60s cars, nothing. Well, the <coughs> the early cars had a style, mm-hmm. uh, like the GM cars. Uh, it was oh, how would I say you could attribute it to the manufacturer. Now, without being uh, too harsh. All of the modern cars, including Ferraris, um, they're somewhat generic. Uh, how would I say? You have the Lamborghini that has that very, very, very spoked windshield. Now that has a, a bit of a look to it. But the Ferraris models, right? Sometimes they're a little difficult to keep up with, and they come out with a lot of different. And honestly, I have a difficult uh, keeping up. Now, the young people today know every every detail of every model. There's no doubt about it. So I'm at a loss. Not having driven them, I don't know anything about them. But again, how do I have a car of such performance? Today in the world, you can't do it in Europe. They put you in jail. <laughs> you can't do it over here. They put you in jail. So when people say, my car does 190 miles an hour, the number of times I've driven 190 miles an hour, either at Sebring, Le Mans, or Jason, or in the 80s went with the F4. I think it's 180. Uh, you could do that early in the morning on a super highway in Italy with nobody on the road. Otherwise, you couldn't do it. And so all of them, you know, a thousand hour. I'm afraid that I'd rather have a lightweight car with 300 400 horsepower that you could drive. That makes perfectly good sense. No, I, and and it's funny because very often I'm at a show and people will talk about how fast the car is, and then they go, "Well, why do you like these old cars?" And I said, "These old cars are classics." They have a style, they have an elegance, they have a, uh, a provenance about them. There's something about them, and, and, and they're little pieces of art and they're little pieces of history. And when you drive these old cars, yes, they're quirky, they've got issues, they're mechanical, and things goof up every once in a while. But that's the, the, the character, that's the beauty of these old cars. You know? So whether it's a, a Ferrari, whether it's a vintage Lamborghini, whether it's a Jaguar, whether it's a Porsche, whether it's you know, uh, a Maserati or anything like that, you know, that's, that's the allure. And, and so when you, when you and, and they're styling, and, there's, and then you can look at, you know, you can look at a short nose 275 GTB and you can say, okay, that's a 1965. You can look at a, a 4Cam 275 GTB and you can know that that's a 60, late 66, 67 car, if I'm correct on my, 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 my data here. But, you know, and then you look at a Lusso, which is probably one of the most beautiful Ferraris ever made. 
and you know and then you look at some of the you know a, a TDF was a beautiful car stunning car out of the late 50s and the stun but you know you can you can look at those cars and you can immediately tell the era the car, the designer, whether it was a Vignale or whether it was a Pininfarina car or whether it was a Scaglietti or whether it was Bertone or something like that, you can tell, uh, or Ghia, I mean, you can tell. And, and, and to me, that's, that's, that's the, the uniqueness and the beauty of these cars. So, Well, you, you bring up a point within, let's say, the Lucio. Right. Now, the Lucio is you can spot it a mile away. Yes. And it is indeed beautiful. The 400 Super America, all of them. But, you know, all these old cars, they were very quirky. The Ferraris were very reliable. Uh, you could take an LM and drive it across the U.S. with any problem, or a uh, short wheel, any of those. Two, they all were reliable. If they weren't reliable, they wouldn't exist today. Uh, they don't take a lot of maintenance. I mean, the little three liters, they're as good as they ever were. Uh, but when you come to it, talking about style, um, probably I could say that Porsche, you can tell a Porsche from 1950 something to today, they have that same silhouette. So yeah. And it doesn't change much. For good or bad, some people say, I wish they'd change because they're old-fashioned looking. So you have to make a little bit of a compromise between what is a, let's say, up-to-date uh, car, which uh, I like a little bit more traditional style, but then again, I'm about to be 82, so I'm a little old-fashioned. Uh, but from that point of view, um, when you talk about drivability, um, my buddy has a Lotus Elan, and when I drove it in Connecticut, and it's a, it's a, it's a tuned car, but that brings a smile to your face because it weighs nothing. It has almost no horsepower. Uh, I don't know, 1,600, what, 120 horsepower, something like that. I don't know, maybe more, but it's a pleasure to drive because you really drive it. The cars today with the paddle shift like Ferrari, actually, I think they were the first to do it in the Nicky Lauda days, I think. But somebody will correct me, but those are fairly simple. You, you push a paddle, you push another paddle, and it goes up and goes down. So the shift cars were more difficult to drive, but they were, in my opinion, uh, using that on the left, much, you had more fun, I forget. But today, most people don't have fun because they've never been brought up with that kind of car, you know, most people have no idea what a gear change car is all about. So the cars have evolved with the, well, the drivers of the cars. Uh, let's put it that way, in my opinion. Okay. What are your thoughts on, um, now this is a question that comes up quite a bit at events. So what are your thoughts on what they're doing with, they're not doing it so much now because the values of Ferraris are stepped up a little bit, but like the, the, the early 60s GTE car, the 250 GTE, all right, which I think was a beautiful car. I remember when I was a kid, this is 1965, and I was in Taromina, 
Sicily. All right. We were on vacation down there. And I was sitting in front of a toy store, and a gentleman pulls up in a silver 250 GTE with a kind of a, like a dark reddish-colored, burgundy-colored interior in it. And he got out, and he walked into the toy store. And I don't know if he was the owner or who he was. But I was sitting there looking at the car, and I thought, wow, that's a beautiful car. And it was just had some great lines. And even in 1965, that car was probably three, four years old. It was still a stunning-looking car. Today, they're taking those cars, and they're using them as donors, and they're rebodying them, and they're making Testarossas or competi- 250G, uh, competition-looking cars out of them. What's your thoughts on that? Well, that's a, I happen to like the 250 GTs. I do, too. They were they were just very very nice cars, easy to drive. Uh, the only reason they're doing these reconstructions, if you want, is because people will pay to have a recreation of the past, uh, and they the poor little GTE suffers. Uh, the three thirty suffers because they can't bring the money as an original car. And most people think they will bring as a as a recreation. Recreation centers, but you know they have their use. I mean, you have E-type Jaguar recreations. You have uh, D, not E-types, but D-types, C-types. They make them into recreations, and they have a, they have a customer base, uh, so they serve a purpose. It's sad that the poor little GTE suffering from the same heritage. You know, it's, it's, it's too bad, but I, I understand it. Um, your thoughts on Ferrari Klasisch? I, I never understood what they call it, Ferrari Klasisch. I would think it would be Classico, because that's more Italian. Klasisch is actually kind of German in a way. So. No, it's not Klasisch. It's, it's actually Classique. Oh, Classique. Okay, thank you for the yeah. correction. Okay, Classique. <laughs> Yeah, C-H. Okay, got it right. All right, good, good. So what's your thoughts on uh, on, on the restoration process of uh, how the, the Ferrari does it? Well, that's a loaded question because I don't understand how people that are very young can say what a very old car was supposed to be. Uh, a very young person, I mean, you know, 50 years old is young to me, but... Somebody that wasn't brought up uh, with the, uh, oh, the in the school of the old cars, right. it's very difficult for them to be able to understand what it was. Because some people say, "Well, this is the way the car was from the factory." Well, that's all well and good, but then it had another life when it left the factory, and even in their hands, some of the cars that were born as a two-liter, 2.4, things like that. So their, their judgment, of, uh, their criteria needs to be uh, more known and standardized. You can't, uh, how do I say it okay, clearly? One particular car can have several uh, different functions. It can go from short, long, Big engine, little engine, updates. So you can't pick a day that says this is what was original. It's a difficult thing. And uh, it, the clients trust everybody. And, you know, they're beautiful stores in the U.S. 
the United States that probably know can do. Let's put this way: they probably can do any automobile in the world to the degree that you would win a Pebble Beach uh, contest. Now, is that the way they were when they came out? Chances are no, because they do such a beautiful job. And in England, you know, it's not just over here. So if you take the Ferrari, well, take your Lucio, for instance. When it comes out of the shop, it's very good. It's ten times more beautiful in terms of fit and finish than it ever was. Because, you know, uh, if you take into consideration a GTO Ferrari, costs around $8,000. And a GTE is probably about the same. Maybe a little more. So, to make their cars into something spectacular, uh, you have to be a little careful of how you judge it. But they were never that good. So when when you uh, you know over the years I've I've you know I've gotten to know you and I see you at uh, a, a lot of these concourse events and you're always judging okay so are you how is it difficult for you in other words not to be biased because you were there when those cars were new and then you see these cars because I remember we were at Palm Beach concourse a few years ago and you made a comment and said well they never looked like that when they that was never on that car when it was new and. So how, how do you how do you judge? I mean, you, you've got to be objective, I guess. But is that is that hard for you sometimes? No, I can get away from that question very easily. Okay. They keep me away from all of the details of the individual nuts and bolts and hoses uh -huh. wiring because we didn't give a damn about them when they were new. Okay. Uh, if a wire was a wire, and it didn't have to be. With that particular hose, that particular clip, that was not. We weren't doing them for show. Today they're doing it for show, which is fine. But I don't know enough about it to be able to say what they were like in the beginning with a certain hose clip or this. I judge. They leave me judging the styling, and that that I have no problem with at all. That is to say, some people will change a little bit of the styling. Not in, I have to be a little careful because of some of the older cars, Duesenbergs or Packers, people have changed certain aspects of them in the restoration. Um, Ferraris don't suffer that so much, but the details weren't like that in the beginning. So uh, if I were to judge a car, in terms of how it was in the beginning, uh, I'd probably be shot. Uh, <laughs> well, because nobody spent the money on them, you know. The, the, the fit and finish was good, but, and quite honestly, uh, the, the British cars were better finished than anybody would say a Jaguar. Uh, you know, Aston Martin, they paid more attention to that than the attack. And the cars show it. You take an original whatever, and you'll see an Aston Martin has a fit and finish. It's, they pay more attention to it, whereas Ferrari paid more attention to the engines and things like that. So you have to be a little careful when you judge, because you have to keep into consideration 
what was then and what is today. Okay. Um, when when Ferrari was designing and, and, and let's, let's say working on cars, street cars, for the American market, um, in the late 50s and 60s, did your dad have any influence as to some of the styling and some of the cars that he felt would be more conducive to the American market? More so in the late 40s and 50s. In okay. the 50s, yes, because he had a working, he had a wonderful relationship with all of the stylists, whether it's Bertone, uh, Farina, Vignali, and Michelotti did it for Vignali. So we had, or he had, because I was still young, he had a tremendously good relationship with the builders, but he had a superb relationship with the clients. Because we had clients that were the Aga Khan. You know, people like the Aga Khan uh, would specify in great detail every little thing that they wanted on the automobile, and it was done that way. And I have a number of original uh, drawings and a great many letters from these clients that said, this is what I want, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we're actually going to come out with a book. Believe it or not, after about 10 years of working, my wife scanned a little over 100,000 individual items. Wow. And some of them are, you know, people... One thing that gets my goat is people refer to Mr. Ferrari as Enzo. My God, no! I still refer to him as Mr. Ferrari. I mean, it's it's beyond me to. I, I would never refer to him as Enzo. To me, it's a, it's a tremendous. I'm, I'm, look, I'm old, but I I have great respect for him, and to to even think of calling him Enzo just grinds me because. People would either say, Commendatore. The only person that called him Enzo was Laura, his wife. The only one. Because Scaglietti would say, Commendatore. Everybody would say, Commendatore. Not Ferrari, but Commendatore. I mean, Enzo, my God. Uh, I could be. It just. It's antithetical. It just grinds me. I had to say that. No, that's okay. What did your dad call him? Commendatore. Oh, Commendatore, okay. <laughs> and, and Mr. Ferrari would call him Ginetti. Ginetti, okay. Well, that's typical. Because there was a great respect. Yeah. Mr. Ferrari was a very, very, very good driver. And I only had occasion to drive with him maybe two or three times, uh, usually up into the mountains, into the hills to his restaurant, the Gatto Verdi. He could drive just beautifully smooth, it was effortless. It was just wonderful. And, you know, from those eras, he drove the Alphas in the 20s. You know, those cars were fairly difficult to drive. And if you were a brute, you broke the car. And that was the end of it. So, Mr. Ferrari, I have the greatest of respect for him. I'm not going to say I loved him because, you know, but respect him, unbelievable. Now, his wife, Laura, I thought she was sensational, and most people will say, "Oh, she was crazy." No, 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 she wasn't crazy. She called the she called the spade a spade. So I have the greatest respect for him, his wife, and all the designers and builders. I have two paintings in my house that Scaglietti did. They're marvelous. 
they were all artists. All these guys were artists and individual. It's wonderful, right? Italy in the 50s and 60s, there's nothing to compare. I think it all ended in the 70s, in the early to mid-70s. But before that, Ferrari was just extraordinary, just wonderful. So I guess I'm a note for a great boss. No, no, no. That's that's beautiful. No, that's that's super. Um, and I concur with you because as a child, I lived in Europe for about seven years, and I lived in northern Italy, Merano, Provincia Bolzano. Okay. Oh. So and we, my dad drove down to Autostrada. We used to drive all over the place, and we used to go to Sicily, go to Rome, go go to Lignano. We were just all over the place, Venice, Venetic, and Venezia. But anyway, so and and I had to go to Scuola Media. My dad sent me to an Italian school, and my mom Mom says, when you're in Rome, you do as the Romans. So Absolutely. I had to learn, and that's just, and you're there to assimilate. You didn't go there and say, hey, look, I'm an American. You went there and you said, I'm an American, but I'm here to be, to assimilate, to be like you guys. Um, a question. Okay, so Enzo Ferrari, and, and the same question would apply to your father. So did your dad and Enzo, since they were in the business, did they drive new cars all the time, or did they drive an older car or found the car that they liked? and then drove it for years. Like, for example, there's pictures of, of Mr. Ferrari with uh, a 250 GTE. And I'm told, or somewhere I was reading, that he had that car for three or four years, and that was one of his favorite Ferraris. That would surprise me, because he had a chauffeur by the name of Peppino. Oh, okay. Peppino would drive him around, and usually, if I recall, now, I guess I could be wrong, but it was either a Lancia or a big Fiat, but... Rarely would I. I'm trying to think of when he might have been driving a Ferrari on a. Well, you know, I don't remember him really. Uh, no, he had Peppino as the chauffeur, and uh, it would be in a sedan, a Lancia or a Fiat. Really? Now, you could ask Brenda, Brenda Vern, if she's still alive. Uh, she'll give you a pretty good idea of what he drove, because. But that's what I remember him was driving. Uh, driving, no, driving in would be more appropriate. Uh, so when you rode with him, what kind of car was he driving when you rode with him up to the restaurant? Oh, when, when he was driving himself, it was a Ferrari. It was a Ferrari? Okay. Yeah. And what year would have that been, approximately? Uh, probably 63. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at the car. One was a GTE, actually, or a GTE. Okay. And the other one, uh, I don't. Maybe it was a three thirty. It was not a, that. None of them were two seaters. Okay. They, they were four seaters. Okay. How about your dad? What did your dad drive? Did he keep a car for a few years, or did he rotate cars a lot? No, he happened to love the Oldsmobile Tornado. Oh, really? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And a Ford station wagon. Um. Ferraris, he would drive home in Connecticut. Yes, because we'd drive them and see what they were all about. <clears throat> but by and large, <clears throat> uh, no, he, he, he loved the Tornado. That was, he loved that car. That was a bit, so what, like a 66, 67 Tornado? Uh, you'd have to check on the years because I don't remember okay. all of them when they started out. Okay. But, when did North American racing team start? Was that like 57, 58, somewhere around in there? Um, it was probably, it was a Monza, it was a Lime Rock. Bruce Kessler drove it. 
and his his mother was a famous uh, swimming pool uh, fashion uh, person, and I can't remember the name, but I uh, and he, she sponsored him. And Bruce Kessler, uh, I remember taking the picture. Uh, it was a blue Monza with a North American racing team uh, decal on the side. That's the earliest I recall. Okay. Now, in the 60s, um, and you're familiar with this, okay, so like the 275 GTBs and, uh, and the 365 GTC, GT4s, they made what they called NART spiders. And the reason I say that, because there's a gentleman uh, in, in, in Windermere, Florida, Orlando, that uh, has a silver NART spider, and, I'm, I'm, and it's 275, and I think it may be a 66, 67. So... Back in the day, so if a customer came in and says, I like this 275 GTB, but I'd like to have an open car, did your dad take those cars for the customer, send them to Italy, and have the, have the bodies modified so they were open cars? No, they would come from the factory or from Pinafrina as a spider, but in the old days, they were unsaleable. Oh, really? Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. Um, movie cars. Okay, there was a few Ferraris. I played a little clip here, and I kind of collected a collage of, of Ferraris that were used in TV shows and movies. Obviously, most notably, Miami Vice. They had the, the replica Daytona in there, or 365 GT4. But they also later then uh, uh, had the Testarossa, the, the white one. And then in the movie Magnum P.I., they used uh, the... The um, the, yeah, the yeah yeah three hundred eight I think it was whatever but and then and of course the most famous movie is Gumball Rally where they actually drove real Ferraris in there as well the 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 one Raul Raul Julia drove the the three sixty five GT uh, beef the yeah the Daytona convertible um, were you did did you at, at at any point in time were you involved and in, and in, or was Kennedy and uh, involved in, in supplying any of these cars for any of these movies or TV shows? <clears throat> not that I remember. Okay. I could be correct about it. I don't think so. All right. Who was uh, who were some of the more notable people that uh, you personally sold Ferraris to back when you were working at Kennedy? Well, my favorite fellow probably was uh, Miles Davis. Okay. He was, to me, he was just spectacular. And uh, well, so you're, yeah, that's right, because we talked about, you know, he was in, and obviously in the music stuff. Now, Miles, was he a, like a real car guy? Because I understood that he, at one point, I think he had a Lamborghini Mura too. There's a picture with him on oh, one sure. of the album covers. Oh yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, he like he was a car guy, and he was um, one of the the greatest of the great in his profession. He was just spectacular and uh i mean once i i was actually in the showroom with a black luso i was next to a black luso and he walked in and i said what do you think of this and i pointed to the uh to the luso and he said because he had a very raspy voice if you remember and he said well he said it's okay when it's there and he said to his skin he said but here <laughs> oh, he and me and Dad got along absolutely like two peas in a pod. 
that was wonderful. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so now we got a few minutes left. Were you at some point? Um, I was reading that you kind of modified a few cars of your own. You had some car, some custom-built cars that you did or some Ferraris that you modified along the lines of your taste? Well, we made a, a number of cars that were completely different. I did a 275P, uh, completely different. It was on the cover of Car and Driver. I've done some encounters, but not just modified. I mean, modifying anybody would do. Okay. Uh, if you actually do a car, you're going to get criticism or praise. But just to be known as a color that chopped it or did something like that, it's not very interesting. But to do it the way you want, that's something different. And the more interesting ones actually were the race cars. There are 312, A2 of them. Uh, let's say I drove the two uh, three, uh, three liter prototype, and it was very heavy. So for the next race, we made it very, very light, short, more like a Lola, the L&M of the period. And we modified that several times. And it prolonged its race at the end. And Le Mans actually did very well. We did not modify the chassis. I only modified the bodies, but the bodies seemed to work aerodynamically quite nicely. So that was, that was interesting. Luigi, when you, um, well, the book you said you're working on, the book may come out, what, you said within the next year or so, with a little luck? Yes, well, no, we had problems because the Purdue, well, David Bull died and Michael Lynch died. Okay. And there was a whole succession of uh, problems uh, but uh, we each, everybody went their own way, and they're going to produce a book, uh, as are we, <clears throat> but uh, we're using all of my archives, which nobody has, because we were in the darn business so long, we acquired, I think we started with 300 and some bankers boxes of information. We have things that I never knew about debt. And I never knew about Mr. Ferrari. It's all in there. It was like a complete education on people that you knew very well and nothing else. Wow. Well, Luigi, we're about up against the clock, but you know what? When you get this book done, something you probably might want to consider, and I'm just going to throw this out as a suggestion, there needs to be the Luigi Canetti story. It is. Well, no, but a movie. You need to do a movie about... Oh, a movie. Yes, 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 yes. Well, you know, they're making a movie now of Mr. Uh, Ferrari. Right. And from the trailers that I saw, uh, the fellow who plays Mr. Ferrari and Mrs. Ferrari don't bear any resemblance uh, uh, to the... Without, I'm not going to say anything more because somebody will show me. <laughs> Uh, Let's put it this way. They don't look like it. Well, if the movie's kind of close, we can deal with the characters, but I understand because you got a personal connection there. So, yeah, for you, it's 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 a special uh, situation. But um, at any well, rate... Some of the, well, some of the British fellows that we're working with 
saw 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 the movie. Yeah. And they said, "Well, it's not really quite right." Oh, really? <laughs> In a British sort of a way. In a British sort of a way. Okay. Well, anyway, Luigi, we're up against the clock, and we're a couple days away from Christmas, so I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here. It's kind of our Christmas show, so you were our Christmas guest for the evening. I truly appreciate it. Um, and uh, so I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. look forward to seeing some of the events next year. And uh, and say hello to your lovely wife. Uh, I spoke with Jacqueline earlier today. And, uh, and again, thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Great stories. Um, truly appreciate it. You're more than welcome. You take care. Buon Natale. Buon Natale. Buon Natale. Okay. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Reading Cars. I want to thank again my special guest, Luigi Canetti Jr., for being on our show. Part one, part two. I hope uh, you found it interesting. Um, extremely, you know, when, when we do the radio show interviews, it's, you know, we're, we have a timetable, you know, and... I try to keep them kind of casual, kind of like a, you know, like a, a BS session, if you will. You know, a couple guys sitting around eating a pizza, drinking beer, or vino. And uh, so, you know, and 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 very often, you know, I've met these people, I've known them for years, and uh, you know, some um, very often I'm able to persuade them, you know, encourage them, to invite them to come on the show, if you will. And uh, so, I'm truly thankful for that. And uh, he's a super nice guy, just a walking legend, walking history, and just uh, to me, I hope you guys all appreciate that because uh, I, I, I'm I'm thrilled to be able to. To have these caliper people uh, on our show because they were there when this stuff was new. So a big shout out to all my friends. Big shout out to all my listeners. Thank you very much. I wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it very much. Uh, happy to help and Merry Christmas to everybody as well. And uh, you know, don't forget to check us out on Facebook. Follow us on our social media. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com, NostalgicRadioCars.com for all the past shows. I hope everybody has a great Christmas. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Yeah.